The WCC tournament is less than two months away. What do the Gonzaga Bulldogs need to do to ensure a victory and a spot in the NCAA tournament for the 25th consecutive year? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself with the Jace the Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat over 50 infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. Today is Mailbag Monday. want to remind you all who want to participate in Mailbag Monday, the best way to do so right now is to join us on our Discord channel. It is free to join. There is a link in the show notes on both audio and video platforms. Uh, you can join that channel. Uh, there's a mailbag segment you can, or a thread. You can click on that, submit your questions there. You can also reach out to me via email, andypatton013 at gmail.com, and I'll get your questions answered there. We got nine questions today, uh, obviously a lot of them responding to the loss to Santa Clara, what it means for Gonzaga going forward. We start here with the question from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, what are the possible roads to the big dance this season for the Zags? The Zags have shown real fight and resiliency in both the San Diego State and Santa Clara losses. Are there positives that can be highlighted from stretches in those or other games that can provide hope or a plan for future success? The consensus right now, the general belief, certainly among Gonzaga's fan base, which is you know, in a bit of shambles right now after the loss, but there's a lot of belief that Gonzaga is WCC tournament or bust that that is the only avenue to making the NCAA tournament for the Zags. I tend to agree. I think there is a very, a, a, an avenue that potentially involves Gonzaga getting an at-large, but it is limited. And it is not, like the Gonzaga needs to focus on winning the WCC tournament. That needs to, I mean, they do every year. It's not like they're ever like, oh, it doesn't matter if we don't win. Like they don't ever think that. So it's not really changing their perception, their plans, their motivations going forward. I think if Gonzaga were to win basically every game outside of winning the championship, the WCC tournament, that would probably get them an at-large bid. Many people don't agree with that. I think it would. I think having studied the bubble, having looking at the teams that are in that conversation right now, looking at the state of affairs in college basketball, I mean, for those who haven't been paying attention, last week, 14 out of 25 top-ranked teams lost to an unranked opponent. Gonzaga was one of 14 top 25 teams. Yes, Santa Clara is not the best among that group of teams. Spoiler alert, they are also not the worst among that group of teams. So it is not as if Gonzaga is the only team significantly struggling this year. It does make the bubble conversation perhaps a little bit uh, more likely that Gonzaga could be in that conversation, but they shouldn't worry about this. They shouldn't sweat that. They shouldn't put themselves in that conversation. Any other losses from here on out probably uh, completely dim the very, very, very small light uh, of a path that doesn't include winning the WCC tournament. Just win the tournament, get into the NCAA tournament, go from there. I think that's the best path. In terms of like what we've seen from Gonzaga, what positives are, I think you nailed a lot of them already. The fight, the resiliency. 
coming back from a big a big deficit against Santa Clara on the road in an environment where there was a lot of emotion, there was a lot of fan energy, enthusiasm. Uh, the, the Zags were not shooting well. They were not playing well. They did not have their best stuff. They didn't give up. It was very tough to watch them not only fight all the way back and then put themselves in a position where they should have won and fall. It was really hard to watch. I know those of you who watched that game felt that. It is heartbreaking to not only – I mean, it would have been bad if they just they wilted and completely fell apart and didn't even really make a fight to come back. But the fact that they not only came back and then took the lead and then put themselves in a position to win and failed to do so, really heartbreaking. But the fact that Gonzaga has that fight in them I think says a lot about the character of this team, the character of the coaching staff. This is a young team, and they're young and they're hungry and they're fighting – there's a lot of to like about what this Gonzaga roster is, is looking like, what the development we're seeing of the young players. There's a lot to like. They are still flawed. And unless they magically get better at three-point shooting, unless the depth issues can somehow be alleviated, Luka Krajinovic will hopefully return from his injury. I don't know how much Mark Few is going to be willing to thrust him out into a role, though. So that is a tough issue to fix. I, I think Gonzaga is limited in how much better they can get at the things that they struggle with, but they're never going to give up. They're going to continue to have that fight. And that could be enough to push them into the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk a bit about the 2015, 2016 team actually right now, because I think that has a lot to do that. There's a lot of similarities. And Jeff via Gmail asked exactly that. He says more and more this season is shaping out just like the 2015, 16 season. In the end, they put it together, pulled massive wins over BYU and St. Mary's one in Las Vegas to get to the NCAAs. What does Gonzaga need to do in order to do the same thing this year? Yeah, this, this season is shaping out a lot of the same way. That team was coming off of an elite eight run. The team, the, the team previous to that had Kevin Pangos and Gary Bell and Kyle Wilcher. They lost all those players, similar to how Gonzaga lost Drew Timmy and Julian Strother and Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith. They came into the 2015-16 season looking pretty brand new. A lot of new players, a lot of new guys in different spots, different roles. Uh, and then they ultimately lost Josh Perkins right at the beginning of the season. He missed the entire year with an injury. That forced them to elevate Silas Melson into a bigger role, uh, a true freshman who was expected to redshirt and now had to be elevated into a real role. That's pretty much what has happened with Dusty Stromer this year as well in light of the Steel Venters injury. They lost games in conference play. They weren't expected to lose. They were behind teams like St. Mary's and BYU. And at the time it was the RPI, not the net, but they were considered not the best team in the WCC. They won the games they needed to at the end of the year. Eric McClellan dropped 22 in the WCC tournament championship to beat St. Mary's. Then they went ahead and went to the sweet 16. What does Gonzaga need to do this year to do the same thing? They need to continue to fight. They need to continue to have growth and development from their younger players, namely Braden Huff and Dusty Stromer. Braden Huff is Gonzaga's fourth big, so him having a, like the growth from him may see. Usually, we're not saying oh, the fourth big is the player who needs to improve for Gonzaga to get in that conversation. But look at how impactful he was on Saturday against Santa Clara. Graham Ike got into foul trouble early and was a non-factor in that game. We'll talk about Graham a little bit later. But the Zags needed somebody to step up that wasn't Anton Watson, and Braden Huff became that player. He did it for Gonzaga in a major, major way. His continued growth, his ability to play in games, in, in true road environments, which he's not used to as, a, as a, not a true freshman, but in, in his first year, he's learning how to play in those environments. Dusty Stromer is still finding his way 
I think him having a, a good start to the season and some signature performances early has almost been a bad thing for him because now when he's making freshman mistakes, when he's not keeping an eye, a corner of his eye on his man and they're getting open three-pointers like he did a few times against Santa Clara, it's harder to stomach because he has not made those mistakes early in the year. But he's still a true freshman, and those mistakes are going to happen. What matters now is how he responds to those mistakes, what he does to get better to not make those mistakes anymore, to continue to be the player that we know he's capable of being. Those are huge things for Gonzaga. I don't think they can magically fix the guard depth issue. Some guard's not going to magically show up onto this roster being capable of playing 20 good minutes a game. It's not going to happen. The three-point shooting, I think, can improve, but it's hard. I mean, that's not something that just magically gets better either. Right now, opposing defenses are capable of going under on screens, which mitigates Ryan Nemhart and Graham Ike's ability to run that ball screen action that they want to run. They're going under on those screens and daring Nemhart to shoot. If he starts making them and d- defenses have to adjust and come around on the screens and Nemhart can do what he's really good at doing, that changes the conversation significantly. But he's really struggling to shoot the ball. And the odds of that magically changing are, are slim. I think he's going to be better in the second half of the season than he has been in the first half. That's not exactly a bold prediction. He's been very, very bad in the first half of the season. But I do think he can improve. But I think defenses are still going to force him to take those shots and take away the actual pick-and-roll action, which is what Mark Few and Gonzaga's offense wants to do. So there are things that need to be fixed. Graham E.K. is great. He had a bad game against Santa Clara, but he is great. He is a low post force. And if he can learn to distribute the ball a little bit better when he gets double teamed, that's a huge benefit for Gonzaga. Anton Watson is playing like Superman right now. The Zags need more from Ryan Nemhart in terms of being able to run the offense they want to run. They need more consistency from Nolan Hickman. They really can't have him do what he's done the last two years, which is disappear at the end of the season. He did it as a freshman. It was kind of forgivable. Freshmen sometimes struggle at the end of the year. He did it last year. It was less forgivable. They really needed him, and he didn't step up. This year, they need him more than they've ever needed him, far more than they have ever needed him. He cannot do that again. So there are things that Gonzaga needs to do, has to do, in order to make it this, this a reality, in order to do what they did in 2016, force their way into the NCAA tournament, and hopefully have some success from there. Next question here comes from C. Palmer0311 on Discord, who says, if the WCC championship is the best hope, do you think other players will be used more in order to prepare? It doesn't seem to matter if Yo is missing shots and assignments, if some starters are missing them too, so why not play him? Also, do you think the rest of the year is more to set up next year's team than focus on winning this year? Uh, to answer the second question, absolutely not. No, Mark Few has never, ever been somebody to not look at winning right now. He's not even focused on the rest of this year. He's focused on the next game. So no, Gonzaga is not setting this up for next year. Certainly, they have a lot of youth on the roster and getting more experience exposure for Dusty Strom or more experience exposure for Braden Huff is going to be something that happens, but because those players need to play. If Mark Few didn't need to play Dusty Stromer as many minutes per game as he was right now, he wouldn't. I promise you he wouldn't. If Steel Ventures was healthy, Dusty Stromer would not be getting as much playing time and he wouldn't be pushing him out there even if the team was struggling. Junio is a great example of that because if if Mark Few wanted to play him more to get him more ready for next year, he would, but he's not. The only way you get playing time in in Gonzaga's offense or in Gonzaga's roster is if you earn it in practice or if somebody else is struggling, and then maybe you can get it that way. We have seen Few pull Dusty Stromer out of games because of struggles, because he missed an assignment, because he did something bad on defense, because he's not making shots, whatever. We have seen that happen. And when that happens, Yo is not who replaces him. Usually it's Ben Gregg and they run the three big lineup. That to me indicates that Yo, for whatever reason, has not earned that playing time. 
I don't know why. I don't know if it's something they want to see from him in practice that he's not doing, if there's other factors, who knows? And I'm, I'm hesitant to fully criticize Mark Few for it because Yo hasn't de- you know, demonstrably proven that he needs to get more playing time. It's not quite like Hunter Salas last year where we felt like, hey, this guy should really be playing more. But there is a reason that Mark Few is not playing Yo. And he's not going to change that because they need to win the WCC or bust. It's just not the way that he's ever operated. You can make an argument for whether he should, and that's a different conversation. But in terms of whether he will, I doubt it. Well, am I still a believer in Graham E.K. as the potential WCC player of the year? And could Braden Huff break a hallowed Gonzaga record? More coming up on that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the college basketball offers, will they stay hot on FanDuel? And right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 in your pocket if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is really easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Right now, the ladies' eggs are at 10,000 to 1 odds to win the national championship. And boy, how did they look great against Santa Clara last week. I'm willing to take those odds. If you want to join me, visit FanDuel.com slash on and get in on the action this college basketball season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, segment two, still in Patton, still Locked On Zach's podcast, and we are still going through Mailbag Monday here uh, as we recover from the loss against Santa Clara last Thursday. This question comes from James Kyle on Discord, who says, does the, does the Santa Clara game change your outlook on EK being WCC Player of the Year? EK is a beast, but he seems to get bullied and neutralized by better opponents. So I'm going to push back on the second point, because I just don't really think that's true. He's had three bad games this year, and yes, they were all against good opponents. UCLA was one of his worst games, but everybody got in foul trouble in that game. Nobody played well. EK was in foul trouble right away. Adambona was in foul trouble right away for UCLA. The refs just blew the whistle constantly. I kind of tossed that game out in terms of individual performances. Obviously, Anton Watson was great in that game, but I, I, I'm not really knocking Graham EK for that one. EK also struggled against UConn. Donovan Klingon's one of the best post defenders literally in the entire country. Uh, so, yes, if your argument is he gets neutralized by better opponents, most people get neutralized by Donovan Klingon. I'm not that that doesn't overly concern me either. And then Santa Clara. And I don't think that Graham E.K. struggles against Santa Clara were being neutralized by a better opponent. The bigs for Santa Clara are fine. They're not better than Graham E.K. They double teamed him at first. He he could kind of struggled figuring out how to get out of that. But ultimately, he was on the bench most of the game because of foul trouble. It wasn't again, and the foul trouble is a problem. Don't get me wrong; that's an issue for Graham that needs to be corrected, uh, or else we're going to have issues with him in, in the WCC tournament, potentially in the NCAA tournament as well. But I don't think he's getting bullied by better teams. That's that's just not what I'm seeing happen. This is a guy who had 14 points on 60% shooting against Purdue, against Zach Eady. He had 14 and 10 against USC. You may say, "Well, USC is not a good team." Joshua Morgan's one of the best shot blockers in the country, and he had 14 and 10, a double double. He had 18 and six against Washington. Frank Kepnog is one of the best shot blockers in the country too. He had an outstanding game and yet EK had 18 and six. EK had 20 and 10 against San Diego State. They're one of the most prolific defensive teams, rugged, hard-nosed teams in the entire country. And EK had a 20 and 10 double-double. I just don't, he's had three bad games. I, I don't think it's necessarily related in, in the way that, that this question is kind of phrasing it. And then the question is like, does your outlook on EK change? Every single game changes my outlook on WCC player of the year. 
Of course, every game matters. Uh, we had a conversation about it. It was too early. We acknowledged it was too early. Something happened that made EK's numbers not look as good. That doesn't mean that I'm completely abandoning it. But anybody who says, no, what it, the, the, the prediction I made in early January, I'm sticking with it regardless, is not operating in good faith. Of course, I'm going to change and adjust my predictions, my analysis, my expectations based on every single game. That's how good college basketball analysts do it. So yes, EK didn't look as good against Santa Clara. It likely hurts his chances of being WCC player of the year because of his end of the season numbers aren't going to be as good. He's still my pick, but Anton Watson certainly made himself a very, very compelling case. And as we will continue to see players from other programs like Aiden Mahaney, who's been good, like Deuce Turner, who's been good, you know, et cetera, et cetera, will continue to make strong cases. Jonathan Mobo is probably your front runner right now from San Francisco. He has been outstanding. I'm not pulling away from Graham Ike after one bad game, but of course I'm reassessing after every game. Next question here comes from Malaskis on Discord who says, do you think Braden Huff is a four-year player? If so, do you think he could break Timmy's scoring record? He's already on pace to beat Timmy's freshman numbers with less minutes played. Yeah, I think Braden Huff's probably a four-year guy, but it took 50 years for somebody to break uh, Frank, uh, yeah, to break Gonzaga's scoring record. And I just don't think it's going to start happening every couple of years now. It's kind of the same thing as when Joe Eliyai got a triple-double and suddenly every single week people were like, is so-and-so going to get a triple-double? Who's going to be the next triple-double? And it's like, guys, it happened like once in Gonzaga's history. Like just because Drew Timmy did break the scoring record at Gonzaga does not mean that now every player who comes through who's good, who might stay for four years is going to break it. I don't think that that's something that we should just assume is going to start happening more often. As for Braden Huff, he's played against Eastern Oregon. He's played three SWAC schools. He's dominated against lower level competition. I was thrilled beyond measure to see him have a good game against a good quality opponent in Santa Clara. That is a huge thing for his development. It's huge for quieting some small, ugly segments of the fan base, but it is not does not mean that I think he's on track to necessarily do that. Yeah, he is averaging a few more points per game. He is averaging uh, more less minutes per game than Drew Timmy did as a freshman behind Philip Petrusa. Drew Timmy also started it as a sophomore year and immediately became a 20-point-per-game scorer. Unless Graham E.K. leaves, I don't think Braden Huff's starting next year. I think he becomes the third big. I think Ben Gregg steps into the starting role for Anton Watson, and I think Huff plays more minutes next year, and I think he plays a really valuable role but I don't think he's going to get the minutes as a sophomore to necessarily break Drew Timmy's scoring record or put up those kind of numbers. I think Braden Huff's a great player. I think he's going to develop into a great player. I don't think he's going to break Drew Timmy's scoring record. And I think it's way too early to make predictions about that. Final question here in the second segment comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says at 144 consecutive weeks, in the AP poll and just over eight years, Gonzaga has the eighth longest run of consecutive polls in the history of college basketball. While it is easy to get down on things this year so far, how impressive is the fact that Gonzaga's run in the AP poll lasted that long? So yeah, I'm recording this before the AP poll has come out on Monday, but uh, the expectation is that Gonzaga will not be ranked in the top 25. I would be very surprised if they were. Granted, I did not expect them to be uh, after the San Diego State loss, and they were, so I suppose you never know. Like I said, 14 top 25 teams lost. So there is not a lot of teams like clamoring to get into the top 25. There's a lot of teams clamoring to fall out of the top 25. Full disclosure, I make my own rankings for Locked On College Basketball. I am not going to have Gonzaga ranked this year. I don't think that they deserve to be ranked. It's not me hating on the team. Just don't think that they deserve to be ranked the way that they're playing right now. Uh, I think that's likely the conclusion that the AP poll or the AP voters will come to as well. And assuming that is the case, yeah, what an incredible run. Uh, an extraordinary run, eight years of being in the top 25. And I think it really puts into perspective where this Gonzaga team is. 
And I think it should put into perspective where this Gonzaga team used to be. We're having a lot of feelings about Gonzaga being in a position where they have to win the WCC tournament in order to make the NCAA tournament. And it's been a while since they've been in that position, 2015-16, like we talked about earlier in the show. But it used to be kind of normal. When I was in college, makes me sound old saying that. I hate it, but I was there from 2009 to 2013. They lost in the first round every single year that I was a student at Gonzaga. They were a nine seed. They were an 11 seed. I think one year they were like a 10 seed. Then they were the number one seed uh, when they, and I said first round, excuse me, they lost in the second round every single year that I was at, in college. Uh, and the, my senior year was when they were the number one seed, the first time ever being a number one seed in 2013. Then they had a couple not so good years after that. They had the Elite Eight run in 14-15. And then 15-16 was when they had the bad year. The next year they went to the national championship. And since then they have been a perennial top team consistently in that conversation. And it has elevated the program in such a way that now years falling back that look more like this feel like these huge disaster seasons for the team. When in reality, this used to be the new the normal for the program. I understand why the concern happens. The concern is that Gonzaga doesn't get back up the mountain, that they fall a little bit and that they struggle to get back up there. I'm not somebody who feels those concerns. This is something we will talk about later in the week as we continue to kind of reel from this Santa Clara loss. We'll do some more conversations on perspective and Gonzaga's future and everything like that. But it is worth acknowledging that Gonzaga has had this incredible streak and that the feelings about this program not being at that level are not really even being felt nationally. People are like, oh, Gonzaga's having a slightly off year. Like nobody is panicking about Gonzaga nationally. It is just the fan base that is so used to success, so used to being a top 10 team, uh, frequently a top five team, frequently a number one team, that a season like this feels really foreign. And I understand it. It feels weird to me too. I My first 100 games as a podcaster covering Gonzaga, they went 92 and eight. 92 and eight. In my first games covering this team. Now I've covered five losses this season. It is foreign. It is unique. It is something we have not experienced as a fan base in many years. But I think that that should be viewed as a good thing, not a bad thing. It hurts right now. It's frustrating right now. But this team has been on an absolute heater for the better part of a decade. They're stumbling a little bit this year. They still got time to right the ship a little bit. But even if they don't, even if they don't, this is still a program I have complete faith in their ability to turn things around, just like they did in 15-16, and the next year, go to the Dang National Championship. Now we're going to close out the show talking about how good this team could be next season. What does that maybe look like for Gonzaga? We're also going to remember some of the program's best conference games. All of that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape the crazy, crazy realities of life, but can we talk for a minute about preparing for when real life actually happens? Because according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. And I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if someone I loved was getting sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication that they needed. Thankfully, there's Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, and skin infections, among others. This could happen to any of us. So visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com and use offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order.
All right, closing out the show today, a couple more mailbag questions. This one comes from Austin Simpson via Discord, who says, time to put this game behind us and think of something positive. What is your favorite Gonzaga Conference game moment? For example, Sam Dower's buzzer beater at Santa Clara or the Strother buzzer beater at BYU. Those are a couple of great picks. Austin, the Sam Dower one was while I was at school. That was an absolute blast of a game. Kerry Keating, the coach at Santa Clara at the time, continues to talk about that game on social media. I spoke to him for a podcast a couple of years ago, and he was talking about that that performance, that game. Sam's been one of my favorites for a long time. Great guy, great player. Him hitting that shot was an absolutely fantastic moment. The Strother buzzer beater is probably would be my pick. That was such a fun game. Uh, Gonzaga struggled to defend the perimeter. BYU was rocking. That place was the Marriott Center is always a beast of a place to play, and it was in full swing that night. And Strother hitting that three and quieting that crowd. It's coming off the heels of the Rasir Bolton game winner against San Francisco. What a fun streak of games. It was not fun for people with high blood pressure, but it was a really fun couple of games otherwise. And then the Strother one was fantastic. I'd add a few in here. For me personally, I was in the house at the Child Center when Strother dropped 40 against Portland. That was really, really fun just to see an individual performance that dominant. Uh, I did. I remember watching Kyle Wiltshire drop 45 against Pacific, so I'll toss that in there as well, although that one didn't have as much specific significance to me necessarily. I also toss in Jalen Suggs going crazy in the final few minutes against BYU in 2021. Gonzaga looked like their streak of having a, an undefeated season was going to end. It felt like 2017 all over again when Gonzaga was undefeated until BYU beat them on senior night. Then Gonzaga, of course, went to the national championship. But in this case, Jalen Suggs hit a couple big shots. They ended up beating BYU and went all the way to that national championship game, still undefeated until, of course, the loss to Baylor. Those are a few of my favorite ones. If you have other ones that you're thinking of, let me know. Drop them in the comments. Drop them in the Discord channel. Drop them on Twitter, whatever it may be. I love kind of hearing these stories and people's either individual favorite moments or just like big ones that that maybe I missed in this conversation that, that you guys can recall. Next question here comes from Modern Dawson on Discord, who says, it seems like Syracuse has been one of the best performing teams after Gonzaga beat them. Is it possible for the win to become quad one, or does that require them to begin to dominate the ACC? I'll acknowledge this question was asked before Syracuse got beat quite badly by North Carolina. Of course, North Carolina is top five team in the country right now, so not exactly a shock that Syracuse did lose that game, uh, but the answer is no. I mean, the odds of them becoming quad one are extraordinarily slim. They're 80th in the net right now as I'm recording this. That win becoming quad one would require them to become a top 50 team in the net because it is a neutral site game. I don't see it happening. I don't. I, I like the Syracuse team. They are a better team than they were when Gonzaga played them. They were a pretty new team. There was a new coach in Red Autry the first time uh, they had a new coach there since Gerald Ford was president, since Jim Beheim was literally the coach there since then, which is insane uh, to talk about and think about. But they were a new team adjusting to a new coach. They had some new pieces they were trying to fit in together with Judah Mintz and, 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 and J.J. Starling and everybody else on that roster. And they've kind of hit their stride and they're playing better right now. But they're still not there's a couple of things working against them. They're not at the top of the ACC. Duke is better than them. Beat them by 20. North Carolina is better than them. Beat them by more than 20. And the rest of the ACC is down. Miami's bad. I mean, they're just, they're just not good. Virginia's worse. Virginia looks very bad. Clemson is okay, but they're not great either. They've lost some games that they shouldn't lose. Wake Forest has looked very good. Shout out Hunter Salas. He's having a fantastic year for the Demon Deacons. And 
They look like a team really contending right now in the ACC, but Syracuse doesn't have very many opportunities to pick up the kind of games you need to move from 80th to 50th in the net rankings. And when they have had those opportunities, like against Duke and against North Carolina, they haven't picked them up. I think Syracuse is a, is a decent team. I think that is one of the few wins for Gonzaga where the team that they beat has actually looked better later in the year than they did when Gonzaga beat them. That has not been the case for almost everybody else that Gonzaga has played this year, but I don't think Syracuse is going to climb into that quad one conversation for the Zags. Final question of the show, another one from Austin via Discord who says, after a full year of playing and growing together, how good could this team be next season? And after seeing what we have seen so far this year, what player are you most excited to see next year? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the offseason. I know that's an obvious answer, uh, kind of a cop-out answer, but it really does. Uh, obviously, Anton Watson's going to leave. He has to. If he could come back, maybe he would, but he can't. At this point, everybody else could, in theory, come back. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does. I don't know if players are going to transfer, if players are going to declare for the draft, uh, what, what, what might happen in that situation. Assuming everybody's back, Greg probably slides into the starting lineup. Uh, Steel Venters comes back and slides into the starting lineup at the three. You have a starting lineup of Nemhard, Hickman, Venters, Greg, EK. Braden Huff is one of the best sixth men in the entire country. Dusty Stromer gets to play off the bench in a role that may, may be more comfortable for him, uh, maybe kind of accentuates his skills a little bit better. If Gonzaga can go add a quality guard in the transfer portal, a veteran guard uh, to play a third guard role and, and kind of alleviate the playing time for Nemhard and Hickman, we also know Venters can slide down to the two. Uh, they, they add a fourth big or else Pavle Stoshit steps into that role. Maybe Yo steps into that role as a fourth big. There's some potential intrigue for what this team could look like. I think they need more roster moves than just replacing Anton Watson and calling it good. They need more guards. I don't think Krinovich's development is going to put him in a position to be a third guard next year, especially because of how much time he missed. I think he's a better fourth guard option for the team next year. So you add a third guard, maybe you add a starting guard over Hickman and you let him be the backup point guard. Whether he's amenable to that is certainly a question that would be a factor, but I think a, a, a starting two guard alongside Ryan Nempard with Hickman as the backup one and two would really help this team in a lot of ways. But I, again, that's that's something that Mark Few is going to have to figure out in terms of roster construction and, and team morale and all that various other things. In terms of who I'm most excited about, I'm going to say Venters and I'm also going to say Huff because I think that the question is asking about players who are currently playing. Uh, but I am excited about Venters because of what it does to the rest of the team. If Venters comes back, starts at the three, what does that mean for Dusty? What does he look like in a different role? Does Gonzaga play him solely as the backup three, or does he play the backup two? What does that mean for him? What does that mean for the roster construction? What does it mean for the, you know, Nemhard and Hickman? Does Steele play a lot of minutes at the two? Uh, how does his floor spacing impact Nemhard's ability to run the pick and roll? Like, there's a lot of things with Gonzaga not having Steele that I'm really curious about, and next year we'll sort of answer some of those questions of what this year might have looked like. And then Huff, again, an expanded role for him almost certainly next year without Anton Watson in the mix. I still expect him to come off the bench, assuming Graham E.K. is back. I don't think E.K. and Huff will play very many minutes together, but I think Brayden Huff's going to be really good next year. He's already really good right now, but having a full year under his belt is going to help him even more. That's going to wrap it up for today here 
on the Locked On Zags podcast. I want to thank all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Hopefully, uh, what has been a disappointing season has not resulted in disappointment with Locked On Zags. We're still having a lot of fun over here talking about this team, uh, even in a year like this. Uh, looking forward to continuing to having these conversations every day here on Locked On Zags. We'll be back on Tuesday talking about the AP reaction, talking more about this team, talking about the women's team who's on a playing really, really good basketball right now continue to have those conversations going forward. Thanks again to those of you who have asked questions, to those of you who are everyday listeners, to those of you who have joined us on the Discord channel. It is very much appreciated. Until tomorrow, as always, go Zags.